So, Heavenly Father, we thank you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We thank you for the promise of heaven. We thank you for hope in Jesus Christ. We thank you for Brother Scott and our choir leading us today to the throne of grace as we sing praise to your name. Now we pause recognizing your presence with us here today. Your blessed presence encourages us, strengthens us, and helps us. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the Lamb alone who was slain. We bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for everything that we have. Every believer in this room says, thank you, Lord. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. We sing the song of heaven while we're on earth and look forward to the days of singing it in heaven. We come today to the table of the Lord. Lord, we recognize the distractions in our life. We pray that you might help us. To fulfill every purpose you have for us as a church and also as individual believers. We thank you for the grace of God and the mercy of God in our lives. We ask now that as we enter this time of worship, as we hear the word of God, <clears throat> we pray that you might give us the ability to put aside our distractions. Every one of us, Lord, we confess. The preacher confesses. We all confess. We have distractions today as we come to this place. We pray that you might help us with our distractions. We pray for those who cannot join us, who are watching us from somewhere else. We pray for them. They're with us in spirit. We're with them, but they're not with us. We miss them. We pray that you'd be close to them today. So now may the Holy Spirit of God give us some time together, just a little bit of time in our busyness and our schedules to think about the glory of heaven and the Lord Jesus Christ, our high priest who is over the house of God, the church of God. And may, be, may Jesus be glorified through all that is said and through the word of God today. Now teach us from your word and may people, boys and girls and students and adults make decisions today that are life-changing in their lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, good morning. Good to see all of you who are here. I'm Pastor Mike. We're honored to have you here. If you're a guest, please let us know if we can help you in any way. Please let us know and let us know how we can help you to understand more about our church and what we're doing. And uh, for all of you who are here, Hebrews chapter number 10 is where we'll be in God's Word today. Uh, Hebrews chapter number 10. I have for you out in the uh, on the seats, I have for you a... Uh, a copy of what we've gone through in our outline over the last 11 weeks as we've talked about the Lord Jesus, our high priest. You're going to need those things. I hope that you will keep those, um, that outline for you. It will be something for you to use in your own time of thinking about the Lord. Setting your mind on heaven means setting your mind on the Lord Jesus who is in heaven today alive and cares deeply about every one of us. So please take those with you and and take several of them if you'd like, if you know someone else that would be blessed by having those things. We come now to Hebrews chapter number 10. This is a very important chapter. It reminds us of the truth 
that the Lord Jesus Christ is the high priest over the church. And Brother Scott Shepherd, who is our guest today, we're so honored to have him. We thank the Lord for him and his work as the leader of uh, Tennessee Baptist in our worship area. Uh, Brother Scott and the choirs led us this morning to think about our, we're the family of God. So my comments to you today, it's easy for us to get caught up in the personal, individual matters of our walk with God. And that's important. You need to worry and talk about and think about your prayer life. I'm talking about your personal one. You, you need to think about how you're going to read the Bible. Because you need to read the Bible. If you're God's people, whoever you are individually, your time with God, worship. Coming and being in worship. Doing what God's called you to do, being a witness for Christ. All the matters that are personal that we have, but we do them together. So what we look at here in Hebrews chapter 10, especially verses 19 through 25, is a conclusion to what is said in the earlier part of the chapter. I want you to keep your Bible open. We'll look at a number of things from Hebrews chapter 10. So we read today these words, and remember, notice as we read them how many times the plural pronouns are used. Notice these plural words. This is us. I'm talking to us today, not the individuals, but to us. Therefore, brethren, since we, believers in Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us, the church, through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have, the church, a great priest over the house of God, the church of God, let us, the church, draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, 23, let us as the church hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us the church uh, hold fast not only our confession but consider verse 24 how to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds and then it's implied again in verse 25 and let us not forsake our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Heavenly Father, now bless the reading of your word. May the Holy Spirit be our teacher today in Jesus' name, amen. So the focus I have for you today is this, as we think about coming together as God's people. This is about the church, all of us, not only individually at all times, but together, corporately, together in fellowship for us to draw near to God and to worship in prayer and, in, and then go in service. So God's family confidently come into the presence of God. That's what the choir and brother Scott were leading us to do today. We came confidently and sang our praise to the Lord for all that he has done for us. God's family, the church, confidently comes into the presence of God through the Lord Jesus Christ, the high priest. We have so much that is ours because of what the Lord Jesus has done for us. We'll come in just a little while to the table of the Lord where we'll say again, thank you, Lord, and remember deeply his, as I'm going to uh, describe here in some detail, his blood and his body given for us so that we might be new people. Look, you were made 
born again, made new to be a confident person. What is it then that keeps you from your confidence? You know, we all see it, those many of you here, like myself, you played uh, athletics, and you know, you cannot play ball if you're not confident. Without confidence, it shows in your game. Uh, we just saw it here on this platform with all of our leaders of worship. You have to be confident when you carry out and lead. And as a musician, you have to be confident. You have to be confident as a business person. You have to be confident. Confidence is what gives us that extra step and helps us to move forward. This church, First Baptist Church, must be known as a confident church. Not because we have happy thoughts. Not because we just like one another, but no, it's all centered upon what Jesus Christ has done for us. Listen, as I think about what Jesus Christ has done for me, it gives me lifelong confidence. Listen, regardless of what kind of circumstances come your way. Confidence. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence... We have confidence here. And then he goes on and says it again. We have confidence to enter the new and living way that he inaugurated through his flesh into the presence of God. And then he says again, let us draw near with a sincere heart of now full assurance, confidence and full assurance. So there are three observations I have for you that I'd like for us to get to for just a few moments together. Number one, the church, God's family, I'm coming right out of verses 19 through 20. Four with these comments for you, 23. I'm talking now to this church as your pastor. This church, God's family here, has confidence to enter the presence of God because of something that happened on the earth. Through the death, the earthly death of the Lord Jesus Christ. You might never, you, you must never get over this. This is why the Lord's Supper what did the Lord say? How sad that our Lord would have to say this. Are you thinking what this? It's on the front of that table. Do this in remembrance of me. It's easy to forget about the Lord when you're busy, isn't it? It's, for, it's easy to forget about the Lord when you've got a lot of things going. It's easy to forget about the Lord when you've got all these troubles in your life. All these troubles. You're just overwhelmed with trouble. It's easy to forget about the Lord, but you can never, if you're a believer here today, this is what you must always remember. This is what gives you confidence. This is what gives you boldness. This is how you look the world down. This is how you face them down. This is how you stand and resist the devil. This is why you kill your flesh because of the confidence you have in what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. We read it again. It's very powerful, 19 and 20. Oh, my friends, you may have read these words. Many of you in this room have taught these words. That doesn't matter how many times you've read them. They are fresh and new for you today. Hear the word of God. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. I remind you here that this promise is about being able to enter heaven while you're still on the earth. I've been driving at this point. Some of you don't believe me. Some of you are not listening. It doesn't say, therefore, brethren, since you have confidence to go to your church house. 
It does not say, therefore, brethren, since you have confidence to enter in to your prayer closet. Though that's important. It says here the most significant thing of all. This is the place where the Lord Jesus now is alive. The holy place, the glorious presence of God in heaven. This is why we sometimes use the phrase, let's go to the throne of grace. It's an old phrase, but it's every generation here must learn it. When you pray, when you worship, when you glorify God and sing to Him, when you walk with God, think about heaven. Go to the holy place. Don't go to the unholy places. Go to the holy place. We have confidence to enter that holy place. We have confidence because of what the Lord Jesus has done for us through his blood, verse 19, and through his body being given for us on the cross. Now there's a, there's a way that we have to look at this for a moment. What gives me confidence? How do I gain confidence in my Christian life? Well, if you'll notice here, let's just do a little bit in the first part of chapter 10 because it helps us understand this truth about confidence. I'll give you the answer before I give you the detail. The reason why we have confidence with God is what's stated in verse number 18. Where there is forgiveness, there is no longer any offering for sin. You know why I can be confident as a Christian? Because my sins have been forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. You are a forgiven one. If you're a part of this church and you're a part of the forever forgiven family of God, that's right, forever forgiven family of God, you have something that ought to bring you great confidence for the Lord Jesus Christ did not just die for those past sins, somehow hoping that you'd be able to make it along the way now, or for those in the future, maybe somehow, no, for all of your sins. This is a glorious thought. This is a profound thought. This will change the way you live. When you realize that Jesus Christ died for your sins, past, present, future, you will humble yourself before him and say, Lord, I don't want to sin anymore. Oh, you'll stumble into it and fall. And when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, and we confess our sin. But why do I want to sin against the one who has died for me that I might have life. Why would I want to do such a thing? You see, this is the promise we have in these verses. The Lord Jesus comes and he obeys the will of God. He says to God the Father that he will do his will. He says in verse number 9, chapter 10, I have come to do your will. Because the Lord Jesus came and did completely the will of God, submitted himself to death, we can now have life. Verse 12, because of what he's done by him offering one sacrifice for sins for all time, he sat down at the right hand of God. In fact, let me just read it this way. Verse number 10, once for all, Jesus Christ died for sin. Verse number 12 of chapter 10, he, sent, he, sat, he offered himself one sacrifice for all time. Once for all, for all time. Verse number 14, for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. That means he's made you complete in Christ. He's forgiven you of your sins. You see, there's no more imperfect sacrifice for your sin. This was the problem of those worshipers under the law. They had to bring a sacrifice every time. This is the early part of chapter 10. In verse number one, it says they could never by their sacrifices 
continually offered year by year, be made perfect as they, draw near, as they drew near to God. They brought their animals, they brought their sacrifices, and time after time, verse number 3 of chapter 10, these sacrifices, you know what it reminded them of? Why am I bringing these sacrifices? Because I'm a sinner. Why am I bringing all these sacrifices? Why does the law demand these sacrifices? Because I'm a sinner. And they came and presented them in this imperfect way under the law, and they left, they left still without the forgiveness of sin. But now we who are followers of Jesus Christ and have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, what does it say to us, this glorious truth, verse 17 of chapter 10, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. You keep going to God as a believer about your past and you keep bringing up how sad and sorry you are about what you used to do and what you repented of. And the Lord says, what are you talking about? Excuse me, I don't even know what you're talking I've already forgotten that. Did you hear that? That's good news for some of you today. What else will give you greater confidence than that? Oh, the devil says, why, you know what you've always been. You know you're an old wicked rascal. You know there's not, oh, you know what you really are. And you stand up to the old devil and say, no, through the blood of Jesus Christ, I have confidence to enter into the very presence of God with boldness because I come in the name of Jesus and through his blood. You see, that's what gives you confidence. That's why I go to prayer with confidence. I talk to God with confidence. I don't come, you know, just all shucks, God, you know, gee, here I am. And, I, you know, I've just barely made it up here and I... I'm hoping that you're going to be able to help me out. What in the world? What kind of Christian? Believers don't talk like that. We, come, we don't come with arrogance. We come with holy confidence. To the throne of grace, we go to the presence of God in our worship and prayers because of the blood of Jesus. Secondly, this confidence to enter into the presence of God. This is, it even gets better. This has been the whole point of what I've been rambling about and talking about for weeks on end. It's right here. It's right here, not only through the blood and body of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on earth, but because of the Lord Jesus' continued life in heaven as our high priest, we can have confidence in our Christian life. There is today, verse 21, since we have a great priest over the house of God. There's nobody going to bother the church except with permission from the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that? Amen. He's over the house. He's in charge of the house. He's the boss of the house. He's the Lord of the house. He's the head of the house. Well, what are we going to do up here at the church? Who's in charge up here? Answer, the Lord Jesus Christ is in charge of the house. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a part of the household. And if you're part of the household, you got to know the rules of the house. You got any rules at your house? I went over to one of our people's house one time. They had a big sign up. House rules. House rules. It had some things on there you're supposed to do at the house. Take your shoes off, and, you know, wash your hand, or whatever it was. House rules. I bet you boys and girls that are here know the house rules. I bet you teenagers know the house rules. 
I don't know if some of the adults know the house rules. They might have forgotten them. Everybody here has house rules. And in the Lord's house, among the church, there are house rules. There are things that will help you walk with God and there are things that will keep you from it. You see, the Lord Jesus is over the house of God. He is above us, but yet he ministers to us. He is above us and yet he supports us as our high priest interceding for us and representing us. And he is sovereign over us and yet he, has, he serves us. These are marvelous things for you to think about. Oh, on my hardest, darkest day, I remember this, that when Jesus Christ was on the earth, he died for my sins so that I could be saved. Whether I'm a living alive on this earth or whether I die and go to heaven, I have eternal life because of his death. I have forgiveness of my sins. And at the same time, he is now alive. I'm speaking with the Lord Jesus as a living as a living Lord high priest in my life, not just a good idea. Oh, my Christian friends, some of you still think Jesus Christ is a good idea, but you do not think of him as a glorious risen person who is in heaven for you today. We're not talking about an idea. We're not talking about a philosophy. We're talking about confidence that comes because we have Jesus Christ, the high priest, king, Lord, savior over the house of God. You see, you're united to Christ, though you're, listen, you're here on the earth and yet you're united to Christ in heaven. You're visible on earth. You see me, I see you. But I'm also this very moment because I'm a believer hidden in, in Christ in heaven. What? I'm on heaven and I'm on earth. I can, I'm on earth and I'm praying and I'm worshiping God in heaven. What a glorious, what a marvelous thing. And I have access wherever I am, whatever I'm going through, I have access to the Lord because of the blood of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his continued work in heaven. We're going to begin to talk about blessed assurance in the weeks ahead. We need to talk about it as a church. But you see, the, the good news is, as I've said to you repeatedly, You'll always be saved as long as Jesus is alive in heaven. Some of you need to go home and think about that. You'll always be saved as long as Jesus is alive in heaven. Because of his glorious high priesthood. He is over us. He is over us, but he gives us mercy. He is over us, but he's providing his faithful care for us. He's over us. He continues to provide gracious mercy to us. He sympathizes with us. He knows exactly how you feel today. So you go to him in prayer and you think nobody knows what I'm, oh, your, your family tries to care, but you know, they don't really understand. Your friends try to care, but they don't, but you go to the Lord, he sympathizes, he understands what you're going through and he is there to help you and to minister you and to give you what you need. He is over us, but he's merciful. He's faithful. He's sympathetic. He's forgiving. He's gracious. And praise God, it leads to the third thing here. As a result of that, verse 22, who would not want to draw near to someone who's in charge of the house like that? I'm going to Jesus. What's the hymn say? Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. I've repeatedly said that to you as we've met. Verse 22, let us, this is what we do as a church. 
This is how we come together. If I find it quite interesting that people get distracted about what you do at church based on the various activities we do here, whether it's teaching the Bible, whether it's preaching, whether it's uh, worship and our music and praise to God. And they're all, but what we're doing is we're coming together in this place together to draw near to God. This is our act of worship. This is what we do. And notice how we do it, verse 22, with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Did you come here sincerely today? Did you come here with sincerity? Are you sincerely here to seek God? Are you sincerely, in, they're sincere. God looks into your heart and sees there's sincerity here. You're sincerely here. Oh, the beauty of this phrase. We draw near to God sincerely with a heart in full assurance of faith. Oh, I'm assured that my faith in God is not wasted. And how is that seen? Verse 22, because our conscience is sprinkled from, because having our hearts cleansed or sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What is this last thing? I put it here on the screen. The church, God's people, we have confident assurance to enter into the presence of God. Here's how I can say it. Because of the change on the inside, that on the outside of us. You know, when you got saved, when you came to know the Lord, He changed the way you think. He cleansed you from an evil conscience. And I'm not going to go back through. I spent a lot of time a few weeks ago talking to you about the blood of Jesus Christ from the book of Hebrews cleanses us from an evil conscience. It does. And look, if you've been lost... And you're now saved. Oh, how the devil wants to take you back to having an evil conscience. Oh, all those things in your past, all the wickedness you've done. He just wants to heap it up, pile it up. You see, the devil's always talking to you about your past. But the Lord is promising you a great future in Jesus Christ. Where are you going to spend your time? Who are you going to listen to? And the flesh joins right in. The world joins right in. All about the past. All about Here it is, shoveling it up. You see, when I get saved... Because the inside is changed, listen, the outside is changed. The Lord Jesus said, from the abundance of the heart comes adultery. From the abundance of the heart, from the inside comes covetousness. From the inside of the heart comes all kinds of filthiness and sexual sin. From the inside, it starts on the inside. Look here, there is great assurance because I have assurance of faith in God because I've been changed. I don't think like I used. This is not arrogance. This is your testimony. This is what it means to be a new person in Christ. If you say you're saved and you still live like all of your lost friends, with all due respect, you're not saved. If you still think wickedly and godlessly, and you still harbor and live under hate and bitterness in your life toward other people, you may need to look at your heart and see what's really there and the way you live and where you go and what you touch with your hands and where you go with your feet and the things you think about and what, what fills your mind. You see, when I've, been, when I've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, I have confidence to enter the throne of grace, but now I draw near and I draw near clean. So you see in the Old Testament, the priests had to take a bath before they went in to do their service in the tabernacle or temple. 
They had to take a bath. What we must do is confess our sins so that we can be... What do, I'm going to quote our dearest, most favorite verse of all as Christians. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse. That's wash. You know, when you, when you, get, when you sin, you feel dirty. You may not have real dirt on your body or your hands, but you're feeling dirty. You feel dirty. The only way you get cleaned up and you get the dirt off your mind, get the dirt off your conscience, is to confess your sin. Repent of it. Turn away from it. And live, praise God, as one who is clean in mind and it'll change the way you live. Paul said it this way, and I'm going to move quickly. Paul said it this way. He was talking to the Corinthians and a lot of them had wicked, godless lifestyles who were saved out of that church. I'm not going to go into the detail of it. You can read it, 1 Corinthians 6. He describes the way they lived in the various kinds of godless lifestyles. Many of them are the same today for lost people. He said, but you were washed. You used to live these godless lifestyles, but you, 1 Corinthians 6, 11, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of God. Paul said it further. Titus 3, 5, he saved us not on the basis of what we've done in righteousness, but he saved us according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. When I get saved, he washes me of my sins, cleanses my conscience. I can start as a new person in Christ and bless God when I stumble into sin as a believer every time over and over. It happens all the days of my life. I can still be cleaned up again, forgiven of my sin and go forward. That's what brings confident, full assurance of faith for every believer. And we just keep drawing near to God. Who would not want to go and draw near to a God like that? Who would not want to go to someone who says, I forgive you of your sins. I forgive you again. I forgive you again. I forgive you again. It is the blessed eternal forgiveness we have through the Lord Jesus Christ's blood. Praise the Lord. Well, what do we need to remember today? Quickly, I say these to you. The application is here in verses 23, 24, 25. So what do we do with this? What do we do besides draw near? Well, I've, I've spent a lot of time on number one, draw near to God in worship and prayer with confident assurance through the death of Jesus and our high priest who's alive today. But there's a second thing. Hold on to your confession of faith. You know what the world wants to do? The world wants to shut down your confessing Jesus. It's going to get harder, not going to get easier. That's right. Like the fellow told one of our men in our church who remain unnamed, but he was at his job. How about a little less Jesus and a little bit more work? When they say to you and they try to intimidate you, now you can come in here, but if you start talking about Jesus, you're not going to be welcome here. As the politicians one time told me as I was about to uh, been asked to do the prayer for an opening of a particular uh, uh, assembly, now, you can pray, but you can't pray in the name of Jesus. Well, you know, they didn't have anybody to pray that day because I left. That was it for me. You're going to stand up? You're going to count yourself worthy? You're going to stand up and be unashamed if somebody calls you names because you follow Jesus and you say his name? 
Say His name. Say His name. Say His name. Just say His name in a group of lost and wicked, godless people. Say His name. Stand up when you're in business and they want you to cheat and lie. Stand up when you're with family and say, look, I'm not, a I'm not ashamed to be a follower of Jesus. I'm not ashamed to say, you see, the world wants you to shut up and the devil does too. And your pride in your flesh will go along with it. Now hold on to your confession. Why do I hold on to it? Because I've been forgiven. I have the blood of Jesus that gives me life. I've been washed clean. I have a high priest in heaven whom I now, whom I now serve and follow. And I live with confident assurance. So I hold on to my confession of hope and I'm not wavering because what he promised me, he's always going to do. And then I also, I also consider verse 24, I motivate other people to love in the church and to do good deeds in the name of Jesus. When you come to this place with other people and you talk to someone, I hope you motivate them to good. You don't say something that derails them for the day. What do you talk about when you come with God's people? Is it because you haven't had enough people to gripe about or to gripe to that you show up up here to gripe about it? Are you here to motivate or demotivate? I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but frankly, there's some people, if you're going to be a demotivator, they're going to run from you every time they see you. They're going to go down the other hallway. They're going to avoid you. Well, why come everybody at church is avoiding me? Well, maybe you need to think about what you're talking about. We're here to motivate one another in these dark last days as the Lord is about to come. We need each other in the church today more than we ever have. We need each other. We need those who call upon the name of Jesus in our life. Most families here have some, and sometimes it's many in our church. They don't have anybody in their family who names the name of Jesus. This is, this is their family that names the name of Jesus. They need motivation. They need encouragement. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love. There's old Pastor Mike up there. What can I do what can I do to stimulate him, motivate him to love more? Well, work on me. There's old Pastor Mike up there. What do I need to do as a brother or sister in Christ to help old Pastor Mike up there to be motivated to good deeds? Maybe I need to do them in front of him. Maybe I need to let him do it with me. Maybe I need to let him... You know, see what it looks like to do these things. And then finally, faithfully attending church. Now, this always happens when any preacher gets to this verse. Pastor Mike, we're all here today. You should preach it to the people who aren't. Okay, thank you for that. But since you are here today, we're going to talk about it for just a second. You know who was, you know who, uh, was forsaking the church? Those who didn't believe in the church and the Lord Jesus Christ anymore. In this setting, this is what was happening. This was the whole issue of Hebrews. This was the whole issue. Don't gain some knowledge about Jesus Christ and the gospel and then walk away. And there were many Jewish people who heard. They were enlightened to it. They understood some general knowledge about Jesus Christ and these elementary principles. But you know what? It was too hard to live for Jesus. They walked away. 
They forsook Jesus Christ, chose not to believe in Him as Savior, and they left the church. I've spent almost 50 years of my life as a pastor in one way or another. And I have been amazed and watched through all of my years the unexplainable reason why people go to church and then stop going to church. If you stop a little bit, it'll be easier to miss a little bit more till finally you don't miss it at all. Unless you're born again. If you're born again, there's never a time when you can say, you know what, I don't need church. I'm just going to be a solo follower of Jesus. <laughs> like the fellow said to me, I love God, I love Jesus, I just worship better in nature. I don't want to be around all those hypocrites up there at the church. Well, I'm sure he wasn't a hypocrite. It was everybody else. When you forsake showing up, you miss what the Lord Jesus is saying to the church together. He says things to the church together. He doesn't say to you individually by yourself. There is a place, there is a need, there is an importance to worship and it has nothing to do with who the registered pastor is, minister of worship, pastors of other things, deacons, Sunday school teachers, ministries. It has to do with the confidence and the full assurance and the pleasure of gathering with God's people who've been saved from their sins, just like me. We're all the same. We're a part of the forever family of God. And you might know someone who is just about to forsake church for whatever reason. Generally, the reasons are a little bit subject. They're a little bit suspicious. But that doesn't matter. It matters that as we all know, as we know, we do our best to encourage one another. It's right here in 25, my dear friends. Not forsaking the assembling together of ourselves as the habit of some is. Well, I make it to church once a month. That's good. But you're going to miss something. What did you miss? What did you not see? What did you not hear? Because we're to encourage each other because things are coming to an end. You know, anytime someone gets the news that their life might be over, it changes everybody's perspective about the end of things. So I've gone through my recent experience of, of the doctors telling me about having colon cancer. So everybody says, well, now is Pastor Mike dead? No, I'm actually alive right here. I'm standing here talking to you. I'm, I'm still alive. I haven't, I haven't died yet. But all of a sudden people say, well, what do we do? Well, we just, we serve God until we're dead. That's what we do. But you see, when things are coming to an end, you put things in order in your life. You put things in order and you decide, you know, maybe I need a little bit more church in my life and a little less of whatever it might be. You know why? Because I need to be with God's people. Take yourself back just a few years when we were told we shouldn't be together for a while because of a pestilence and sickness. What was that like? What was that like? 
And then when we gathered back together, what a joy it was to gather back together. I have confidence today to enter the holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Because of his death on the cross in this world. And I have confidence to live every day of my life because the Lord is, he is over the church that I'm a part of. And he's in heaven alive hearing my prayer, sympathizing and providing for me what I need so that I will have a sincere heart of full assurance in faith and live a holy life while I'm here on this earth, which includes holding on to my confession, considering how I can encourage and motivate others to love and good deeds, and staying in church with one another so that I might be encouraged. I'm encouraged seeing you here today. I hope you look around and you see others who are going through what they're going through, and you say, that was good for me to see them at church. I saw them there, and it encouraged you. So we read the Word of God today, therefore... Brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water to the praise of the glory of his grace. The Lord is near to the door. And we pray, as we will today at the table of the Lord, come Lord Jesus.